Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family of God. It is a joy to be with you this morning and um, have the opportunity to, to bring the word uh, in English this morning instead of Spanish. It comes a little more naturally, but I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and speak. I want to start by uh, going to Jesus in prayer. We're going to be talking about uh, the good measure. And in order to hear this word rightly, we really need the Holy Spirit's help. To see both ourselves and to see him as he wants us to. So why don't you bow your heads with me one more time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you that you are a a good God, a just God, a holy God, a merciful God, a loving God. Gracious God, I thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. I thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. I thank you, God, for Jesus, who died and rose again to give us life. I thank you that he he taught us how to live. And yet, even when we can't live up to that model. You give us the Holy Spirit to cleanse us of our sins and secure for us a place with you forever. And you make us instruments of your peace, your love, your mercy, and your grace in the world. Give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see this morning, uh, what you want us to see in your word. And I pray that Christ would be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by just uh, saying this, that as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and thinking about you, I just want to say that, that you smell like Jesus. And that's a really good smell. That's a really good smell. Like, probably when he was actually walking around, it probably didn't smell all that good. He's walking around in the dirt. 
spending time in the Sea of Galilee, probably a pretty dirty lake. But you smell like Jesus. As I was thinking about this word about what God's going to call us to, which is to give. He's going to describe what his giving is like, which, to give you a little preview, it's a really good measure. I just can't stop thinking about how many times I've been the recipient of this church's giving. Starting like way back in 2007 when Rancho Village welcomed me into their family and then into Christ Community Church, now into Redemption Church. So often when I've needed finances, this church has has given. When I've needed help, this church has given. When I've needed friendship, this church has given. When I've needed somebody's shoulder to cry on, this church has given. And you smell like Jesus. I know that I'm not the only one. Like, I know folks out here that have given away cars, given away homes, given away equity, given away time, given away treasure, given away talent. And I want you to hear this word that you smell like Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you smell like Jesus. And I hope this word today is an encouragement to keep smelling like Jesus. To keep acting like Jesus. We start our uh, our passage today. It picks up in the middle of this sermon that Jesus has given. This sermon on the plain. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to those who have left everything to follow him. He's just challenged them to a radical love. A radical response to the mercy of God. And that radical response is a radical love. He says, love everybody. He says, love even your enemies. Love when people hate you. Love when people take from you. Love when people sin against you. Do good to everyone. Give to everyone. In doing that, you're going to look like God's kids. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And family, our Father in heaven is a God of mercy who doesn't treat us like we deserve, but who treats us much, much better than we deserve. Now, that background of what Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Plain is really important because Jesus is continuing that thought in our present passage. It's not like he he stopped teaching and now he started again. Like we're in the same sermon and the same law of thought. And this passage that we're looking at right now is really summed up with the teaching at the end of verse 38, which says, For with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Now, the ESV says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But the, the word's the same. The measure you measure, it will be measured to you. It's where Shakespeare gets his, his title for his famous play, Measure for Measure. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And Jesus is using this word measure as a metaphor. And we use that word as a metaphor today, as a, as a, 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 a language that's figurative. When we say measure, we'll say things like, uh, I don't measure up, right? We'll say things like, oh, she's a 10, or he's an 8, right? We'll say things like that. We'll say things like, uh, what's the measure of a man? We'll say, well, just for good measure, and what we're talking about is not, we're not talking about like an actual like ruler or meter or stick that we have. We're talking about a metaphorical, figurative way of talking about trying to approach some standard. 
When we say things like, I don't measure up, we're not talking about height or how tall someone is. We're talking about some standard in our minds that we don't meet. When we say, what's the measure of a man? We're asking, what makes a man a real man? How do you judge manliness or masculinity? When we say, she's a, a 10 or he's an 8, we're saying on some scale, whether it's attractiveness or marriage worthiness, here's where I judge them to be. Right? We're making evaluative statements. And very early in our lives, even before we get to kindergarten, we learn to be measurers. We measure everything. We decide if something is too hot or too cold. If this diaper is too comfortable or too uncomfortable. And we'll let you know how we measure. We decide if something is good or bad. We measure everything. And the measure we use from birth is usually ourselves. It's too hot if it's too hot for me. It's too cold if it's too cold for me. It's too soft if it's too soft for me. It's too rough if it's too rough for me. It's too easy if it's too easy for me. It's too hard if it's too hard for me. It's too loud if it's too loud for me. It's too soft if it's too soft. You you follow me? We use ourselves as the measure. And we usually don't see anything wrong with our system until we live with someone else. Now, it could be a sibling, it could be a roommate, but if they have a different measuring system, it's pretty clear pretty quick. Now, we usually continue our measuring system into adulthood. We may not even question it until we move in with somebody that's not family. Because in family, there's a pecking order. And usually... Whoever is the oldest in the family gets to determine the measuring system. And then what they don't measure, the second oldest usually will measure. And then what they don't measure, usually the third oldest will measure. And what they don't measure, the fourth oldest will measure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when you live with someone who isn't family, there's no birthright pecking order. So you have to figure out whose measuring stick you're going to use. And the first time I moved into an apartment, not into the dorms, dorms are a little bit different. When I, when I moved into my first apartment, we had to figure this whole measuring thing out. I lived with a guy who didn't measure a whole lot of things. And I was born, and I just, I'm a measurer. I just measure everything. And so one thing that I was measuring that he wasn't measuring was whether or not you should dry off your feet when you get out of the shower. I didn't think you had to measure that. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was clear that you dry off your feet before you step out of the shower, especially if there's another towel or a rug there. Because I don't want to use your dirty, wet, measure, uh, 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 drying rack to, to dry off my feet. So you dry your feet, and then you step with dry feet on the rug, and then I'll dry my feet, I'm going to step with dry feet on the rug. Well, he didn't know that we were measuring that. And so I brought it up. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I kept short accounts and I, I, uh, I, 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 I confronted this, this situation. I measured it. I said, brother, hey, um, I noticed, you use motors in front, I noticed that, that, uh, that you don't dry off your feet. Maybe you do, but somebody, and it's not me, but somebody else who lives here doesn't dry off their feet when they get out of the shower. And I was just curious. I kind of prefer if you do. Now, thankfully, my roommate, he didn't, he didn't measure. He didn't really, he's like, hey, 
whatever, it don't matter. Shoot, cool. Y'all drop my feet. No, no problem. Don't worry about it. Sorry about that. We're good. Don't worry about it. But it sticks sometimes when you've thought about your measuring system and someone else has thought about their measuring system, then you got to try and figure out how that works. It, it, it doesn't always uh, work out in the most peaceful situation. Now, we're all measurers. That's the point. We all measure. But what's the problem? Well, the problem is that from birth we measure with ourselves and our perception of ourselves is usually not very accurate. Usually not very accurate. Uh, Harold Bullock is a wise pastor from Fort Worth. And in fact, our seven relational values, we adapted those from uh, seven heart attitudes that, uh, that he used to describe healthy biblical community. And, and Harold spent uh, years studying fools in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And his, uh, what he found out is, is really can be life-changing. One of the things he described from that study is that he says every person is born with arrogance in their heart. I'm born with arrogance in their heart. And he describes arrogance by saying this. He says, we believe we deserve more than other people. Just a little bit more. But more than other people. So we believe we should get just a little bit more than our neighbor. Which means that if, if, I, if I bring, you can illustrate this point very simply. If I go to the after school program, for instance, and I bring out a pizza, right? And there are 12 slices in that pizza. And there are 13 children. Human nature says there might be a fight. Yeah, you're welcome, Jed. Why? Because everybody's born with a little bit of arrogance. A little bit, of, I think I deserve just a little bit more than everybody else. If anybody's going to get a piece, I should definitely get a piece. I mean, you may not deserve a piece, but I, I of course... I deserve a peace. And so our measuring standard is not always accurate because we don't always have an accurate view of ourselves. And, and, you know, when when, um, I found this out a number of times after being married, a number of times, and uh, and it it comes out like like something like this, where I say, man, I really want uh, my bedroom to be clean. And I look around and I see clothes laying on the floor. And I say, man, our bedroom should stay clean. Now, I ignore all the receipts that are piling up on my dresser, on my side of the dresser. I ignore the shoes that aren't in the place on my side of the, uh, my side of the bed. I ignore a lot of things that, that I'm missing, but I see what other people are doing wrong. We don't have an accurate view of ourselves. We don't often live up to our own standard. Can I get an Amen. So we don't often see ourselves accurately. But second, why it's a problem that we are measurers and we measure with ourselves is that we're not very good at measuring. We're not very good at measuring. And this, you know, when you go back to kindergarten, this is always an issue for me because I'm, I'm an Enneagram one and so I'm wanting things to be perfect. And so it was always a little difficult for me when they say, you, you take the ruler and you, if you, if you want to measure like the size of this pulpit, you take a ruler and you measure and then you put your finger down and you go to the next side. Well, it's like, how much of my finger should I use to determine where the ruler goes next? Like, I'm not very good at measuring. We don't measure very well and it's because we don't 
see very well. We don't know how to see things correctly. And Jesus illustrates this point about not seeing very correctly at the end of our passage. I want to jump over there to verses 41 and 42. I want you to look at this uh, parable Jesus gives with me. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, the speck that is in your eye. When you yourselves do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Notice what's repeated here over and over and over again is this idea of sight. He says, your brother's eye, you didn't notice the log in your own eye. You didn't see the speck that is in your eye. You didn't see the log that is in your eye. You didn't take the, the, the log out of your eye. You won't see clearly to see the, the speck that's in your brother's eye. It's all eye, eye, seeing, seeing, eye, eye. Jesus is saying, hey, check what you can see. Because you can't always see clearly. You can't always see clearly. You can't see with perfect sight like I can see. And Jesus here is actually using a pretty humorous illustration. If you can picture this in your mind, in fact, if you go out and watch the old Jesus film that's even used to, to, to evangelize the world, they have a, a great picture of this where Jesus like picks up a plank and he says, hey, if you, if you can't see, if you've got a, if you've got a plank, a log in your own eye, you're not going to see clearly to see the speck in your brother's eye. And he's knocking people out on this kind of stuff. It's like, hey, if you, if you walk around trying to be a speck inspector, but you've got like a tree limb coming out of your own eye, you're not going to be able to see that speck very well. You're going to be blind to yourself. And Jesus is saying, hey, before you start measuring people, measure yourself. Not so you will stop measuring. But he says, I want you to be able to see clearly. I want you to be able to see clearly. If your brother has a speck in his eye, we need to get the speck out. But if you have a log in your eye, you can't see to get that speck out. You ever tried to walk around with an eyelash in your eye? I don't know about you, but I can't do anything else until I get the eyelash in my eye. Like, it matters if you have a speck in your eye. But she's not saying don't, don't check the speck. What he's saying is check it once you've checked yourself. Right? Inspect yourself before you inspect the world, before you inspect your neighbor. We can only see clearly when we let God do the inspection. I love this season of Lent. I love that God gives us um, passages like Psalm 32 to help us to inspect our own lives. Because you know what the beautiful thing is, we're going to see this a little bit more later, is that, is that God actually inspects much better than we do. He's a much better inspector. He's a much more gracious inspector. I don't know about you, but when I inspect myself, often I end up with a lot of shame and guilt. I got a lot of junk in me, and I know it probably better than most of you. And I can be damning with my inspection. I can live under a lot of condemnation when I inspect myself. I can get into a spiral of thinking I'm never going to measure up. And some of you may be that way, too. I think part of the thing we've got to recognize, if we've got a log in our own eye, is to recognize I can't even see clearly to get the log out of my own eye. I need somebody else to help me get this log out. Somebody else to evaluate me. And some of you have been givers like that where you come around me and say, hey, Chance, hey, 
Yes, that, yes, repent. But then let it go. Don't live under that condemnation anymore. I think some of you need to hear this. It's like, hey, yes, you're a sinner. Yes, we're sinners. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can walk out in freedom, joy, love, and hope because of Jesus, not because of you. Right? I love that, that, that um, part of Chronicles of Narnia. You guys might have read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Went through it with my six-year-old son. And there's four little kids, uh, uh, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, and they get... They get lost in this in this uh, new world that they got to through a closet, right? And Edmund's one of these little kids, and and uh, he gets um, tempted to buck the system to follow this white witch, and the white witch gives him a pretty nasty dessert, <laughs> and he likes it because he's blind, he doesn't measure very well, right? And so he follows this white witch around and ends up becoming like the traitor to get the real king into a lot of trouble, right? And uh, then we have this moment where he's confronted with the good king, who's the form of a lion. And this, it was a lion, Aslan. And Aslan confronts Edmund with his sin. We don't really hear the whole conversation Aslan has with, has with Edmund about his, his, him being a traitor, but... But all we do, we know that he's walking with the lion, and then we know that Edmund is restored. And there's a part of the story that uh, comes up later where, where the witch comes up and, and is, is blaming Edmund, saying, hey, you've got a traitor standing next to you. You know who that dude is? You know, you know how much he's done wrong? You know who he is? You know how much, how much, um, how much condemnation he should be standing under? And it's really fascinating what Edmund does at that point. If you read the book, you might know about the, the, well, how, how many tears might come with this part of the, the book. But it says that everybody looks over at Edmund. Because Edmund doesn't notice he's looking at Aslan. So all the condemnation, all the accusation doesn't even affect him. Why? He's just looking at Aslan. He's been forgiven. He's been restored. He's been redeemed. I'm not going to live under that. I ain't got to prove nothing to nobody. I'm loved by the king. I want to say the same thing to you, church. You are loved by the king. You got nothing to prove. Nothing to earn. You can just be loved. Live loved. Live love. You know, Psalm 23. Uh, it's gotten me, it was a prayer retreat uh, we had on our staff a few months ago. About a year ago, actually. And it caught my attention that, that if a sheep is really walking by faith in the midst of wolves, you know what they're going to do? They're going to eat. If a sheep is surrounded by wolves and he trusts his good shepherd, you know what he's going to do? He's going to eat. He's going to enjoy. Because my shepherd's got my back. Listen, you don't have to listen to the, to the enemy's lies, his accusation. You don't have to live under that condemnation. Because you've been free by the blood of the Lamb. So we don't really see all that well, but Jesus sees perfectly. We don't measure with omniscience. Only God measures with omniscience, with 
perfect knowledge. First Samuel 16, 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When we measure, we can often let other things influence our measurements, but only God measures with equity. And that's why in Psalm 67, verse 4, it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you, God, judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. When the earth experiences the judgments of the Lord, they rejoice. They learn righteousness. God's judgments are perfect. So we want to measure the God measure. Let him measure us so we can measure rightly. So talking about measuring, and Jesus says he's been talking about God's way with the ungrateful and the evil. And he says, God is kind to them. He's been kind to you. He's kind to them. He, Matthew expands this by saying God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He shows mercy to everyone. Just the fact that you're breathing means that we've been treated better than we deserve. So in response to the mercy God has shown us, then Jesus gives us the words they have at the beginning of this passage, which is judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. I want to walk through that. Progression. Follow that progression. I think it's a pretty radical progression that he's giving to us, but he doesn't leave us alone in doing it. So he says, don't, he says, judge not. In other words, don't judge, which means don't walk around thinking you're better than everybody else. It means don't walk around with an air of superiority. It means don't walk around looking down at other people. Don't treat people like they're less than you. Don't treat people like they have, the, have to earn the right to be your friend. Don't walk around like people should do what you want. Don't treat people like they are less than worthy of your respect. Now, if we take this in the context of the last few verses that we learned last week, then Jesus is actually saying something even more profound than this. He says, even if someone thinks they're better than you, don't think you're better than them. Even if someone hates you, don't judge them. Even if someone drags your name through the mud, don't think you're superior to them. Even if someone treats you with contempt, don't treat them with contempt. Even if someone judges you, don't judge them. You don't judge. You don't hold up a measuring stick to see if they meet your standard. You don't set yourself up as the evaluator of their worth. You know, that's really easy to do. It's really easy to do. Man, because we just have this bent to I deserve it, you know. So I walk into the grocery store and somebody's having a bad day and they uh, slam my eggs into the bottom of my bag. And I'm like, who do you think you are? Like it just pops up. Right? Or somebody's really better at something than we are and we start trying to find ways to bring them down in our minds. We don't have to like live with that discomfort of not being good enough to their standards. So Jesus says, hey, here's what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Don't judge. But he doesn't stop there. He goes a little bit deeper. He says, don't, not, not only don't judge, don't condemn. Don't condemn. To condemn is to say, this person is outside of God's reach. Say, this person is irredeemable. To condemn is to say, not only that they don't measure up, but that they will never measure up. 
To condemn is to dismiss people. To, dis- to condemn is to cancel people. To condemn is to write people off. You might say, what if they're dismissive of me? Just don't condemn. What if they cancel me? Don't condemn. What if they write me off and treat me like I'm less than? Don't condemn. Even if they talk bad about me, if they talk down to me, he says, don't condemn. Don't judge them unworthy of my love. You don't, you don't, you don't get the full measure of my love. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't, you don't write anybody off. Nobody is too far from the love of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, forgive. Now, forgive is a really important word that we want to understand if we really want to get the weight of what it means to don't judge and don't condemn. To forgive is to not hold someone's sin against them. To forgive is to not keep an account of all the times they've wronged you and then treat them based on that. It's important to understand this idea of forgiveness because forgiveness doesn't mean they didn't sin. It doesn't mean act like nothing happened. It doesn't mean pretend like you're not hurt. It doesn't mean ignore the sin. It doesn't mean, it, 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 it means don't hold it against them. Okay? Forgive is an important word to free us to not judge and not condemn. One New Testament scholar says this. He says, he says to forgive is, it's not acquittal, but amnesty that is in view. Acquittal is declaring someone not guilty of the crime they're accused of, right? When the police officers after Rodney King were acquitted, there were riots in the street. That's not just, there's not justice. To quit is to declare somebody not guilty of what they've been accused of. That's not what forgiveness is. Amnesty, none of these words are heavy because they're political, but let's try and leave the political and say amnesty is pardon for people who have been convicted of an offense. If someone is convicted, they're declared guilty, but then they're pardoned for that offense. That's amnesty. And that's what forgiveness is, is amnesty, not acquittal. I'm not saying they didn't do it. I'm saying they did it, but I'm not going to hold it against them. It's important to understand that because God has justified us. And justification doesn't mean that we didn't sin. In fact, if we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't need to be justified. Justified means actually we have sinned. But what this means is that we're declared righteous anyway. We've been pardoned for our sin. Under the cross, There's equal footing. In fact, when a Christian says, I'm a Christian, what they're saying is, I'm a really big sinner. 
Because to say you're a Christian means that I needed not just an okay guy, not just a good guy. I needed God to die for me to pay for what I broke, to pay the price for me. To say I'm a Christian is a place of exposure that says I'm in deep need of healing that I could not fix on my own. To say I'm a Christian is to say, you don't know the half of it. You don't quite get how broken I really am. In fact, I don't even understand the depth of how broken I really am. But I don't have to. Because Jesus does, and he died for me. And he rose again from the dead. And he's given me life. Forgiveness is not counting their sin against them. And if we really digest the reality that God has not. He doesn't judge us or condemn us because of Christ. That. He actually gives me much better than I deserve. He gives me forgiveness. He gives me pardon for my sin. What that's going to do is going to free us for the last word he has here, which is give. To the evildoer, to the one who hates you, to the one who throws rocks in your face, the one who, who takes your gift, doesn't appreciate it, and asks for more, he says, just keep giving. That's what I've done for you. Keep on giving. Keep giving. Keep giving. Don't just not judge them. Don't just not condemn them. Don't just forgive them, but then give to them. That doesn't make any sense. Unless Jesus really is who he said he was. But he is. He really is. And let me, let me just talk about this, this picture he gives to describe what God's gift is like. It's what, he calls it a good measure. Everybody say good measure. Say it again. Say good measure. We gotta get what a good measure is. He said, here's how this works. He says, if I wanna, and this is in, in the context, right? So if I wanna, if I'm, if I'm wanting to go make some bread, I gotta go down to the market. I wanna go down to the market, I'm gonna get some wheat, get some grain. Make some bread. I got a, I got a, I got a family to feed. So I got to get enough. So I go down there, and 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 if uh, if I go down there and I, I take my little bucket, and they pour into the bucket some grain, he said, "That's all right. You get what you pay for. You get you pay for a bucket. You got a bucket." But he said, "Here's what a good measure is." He said, "When you find if you find them." You find a seller that's like this, you want to go back to them over and over again. The good seller, here's what they're going to do. They're going to give you a good measure. They're going to pour in the grain until it gets to the top. Then they're going to press it down. They're going to press that grain down, create a little bit more space. Then you are going to put some more grain in there. Then they're going to shake it around a little bit, get all the air pockets out of it, and it's going to make a little more space. They're going to pour some more in there. 
And they're gonna they're gonna put a funnel on the top, right? Like you get a slurpee at, at 7-Eleven. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna fill that thing up to the top of that funnel so that it's like a, a pyramid, right? And they're not gonna stop until it starts running over. And they're gonna say, "Here, here's what you paid for. That's a good measure." Now, I want to pause with that picture in our mind. And I want to talk about some English grammar. You ready for this? Are you ready for this? All right. Everybody say divine passive. Okay, here's what we're talking about. If I say Jeff threw the ball, that's an active, it's an active verb. Jeff threw the ball. Who threw the ball? Jeff threw the ball, right? If I say the ball was thrown, who threw the ball? We don't know. Thank you. We don't know. Right? The ball was thrown. I don't know who threw the ball. That's what happens when somebody gets in trouble. That, that ball hit my window. Who threw the ball? I don't know. It was thrown, man. <laughs> who threw it? Uh, that's for you to find out. That's what we call passive tense. Like, I'm trying to stay out of this. I'm being passive tense. Right? What we have in this text what we call a divine passive. Divine means God. So, so Jesus has been talking about God. He said, be merciful even as your father is merciful. And then he says, judge not and you will not be judged. By who? By God. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. By who? By God. Forgive and you will be forgiven. By who? By God. Give and it will be given. By who? By God. The divine passage is talking about, talking about God. God has given to you. And when God gives, he doesn't give with a partial measure. He doesn't just give what you paid for. <laughs> nah, man. You ever seen God give? You seen God give? Miss John, you seen God give? He gave you life. Several times. God gives any. He presses it down. And he puts a little bit more on there. And he shakes it up. Gets the air pockets out. He puts the funnel on top. <laughs> right? And he, and, he, and he fills it to the top until it's enough to bless other people. That's how God gives. Everybody say, good measure. And he said, that's what I want you to be like. You do that, you're going to smell like Jesus. You're going to smell like Jesus. When you walk out of here and you give and give and give, even when they don't deserve it, when they bring you a bucket to this big and you give them a bucket this big, he says, you're going to be smelling like Jesus. That's what it's like. That's what I've called you to. That's what I've done for you. How many of you know the job you have, you did not deserve. The wife you have, you did not deserve. The husband you have, you did not deserve. The kids you have, you don't deserve. The place in life you have, you did not deserve. If we got what we deserve, we would we'd be in bad straits. But Jesus has given us much, much better than we deserve. Amen? So, 
Let's look at the last couple of verses in our passage. Look at verses 39 and 40. He says, told them this parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Can a blind man lead a blind man? You ever been in that situation? I mean, where, where, uh, where uh, you're, you're trying to get to a place where you've never been before? And uh, so you just, and, and you've got a navigator next to you. And, uh, and they got their GPS, right? But it's loading, and you already started driving, and you get to where uh, I-40 takes off from 35, and you realize it's not 35 anymore, it's 235, and 35's up over there. What's going, if a blind man leaves a blind man, they're going to both fall into a pit. Apple's kind of up there. Game used to be that Google Maps had it down, but Apple didn't have enough cars out on the roads, man. They just end up in a pit. The blind leads the blind. You end up in a pit. What Jesus is saying is, watch who you follow. Pick your teachers well. A disciple is not above his teacher. When you are fully trained, you're going to be like him. Now, how does that fit what we're talking about? Who's our teacher? Jesus. He's our teacher. You want to be fully trained? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Someone who is, who is trained to be like Jesus? Here's what you do. When you're met with animosity, when you're met with hatred, when you're met with indifference, here's what you do. Don't judge. Don't condemn, for sure. Forgive them. In fact, give to them. Well, not just give. Give a good measure. Give a slurpy measure. Because that's how it treated you. If you do that, you're going to smell more and more and more and more like Jesus. People won't even know where you came from. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Follow my master. That's what he taught me to do. You know what? Jesus is giving you his Holy Spirit, saying to know how to do this stuff. To live this way. And you know what happens? If you live this way, your workplaces will be totally different places. Your extended family relationships will be totally different. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying there won't be some forgiving that's going to need to happen. But he's empowered you to give in spite of, to keep giving, to keep pouring out blessing. Even what you receive is condemnation or cursing. He says, keep blessing, keep giving, keep giving. Because you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to keep giving you a good measure. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Church, I don't know what God might be asking of you this morning. But I would just say this, whatever he's asking of you from this word, I would say, say yes. He's asking you to give to someone that you think doesn't deserve it. Remember, you don't deserve it either. But the one who's in you has called you to give. So give and give and give and give and give and give. And be like your master. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this word from Jesus. 
I thank you that you proved it over and over and over and over again. Man, we are recipients of so much more grace than we deserve. And I pray that that my friends here would um, keep giving. Like they've given to me, like they've given to our community, I pray they keep giving. I pray we'd be marked by the good measure. People, when they see our lives, they would know this person is like Jesus, man. So it empowers for this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.